Hello, and welcome back to The Moral Minority Show. I'm Joel Sam, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Josh Luckett. This season, we are looking at Black Lives Matter, the Black experience in America. And today, we have a guest, Ryan Price. Ryan is a good friend of mine, and he's not black. He's actually white. Um, So you're like maybe wondering why the heck is he on this podcast? Well, Ryan's son, also named Josh, not to be confused with Josh Luckett, our co-host, but Josh Price, Ryan's son, is black. And Ryan is going to tell us about his experience being um, a white father to a black son um, who's adopted. And he's going to tell us about that experience, what he has learned from it. Um, as well as what he um, can maybe share with people interested in adoption, people interested in mixed race families, um, what we can also communicate to the church about some of the narratives surrounding adoption. So, yeah. Ryan, thanks for yeah. coming on the show. I'm excited to be here. Do you want to maybe just real quick introduce yourself and for sure um, kind of tell us a quick rundown of your story with your son. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my wife and I, my wife, Sarah and I, um, when we got married, really before we even got married, we had a kind of desire to probably adopt one day. Um, we had known lots of families from our church who had adopted, um, many of those, um, kind of transracially, and so it was on our radar for sure before we even got married. We've been married now for 11, pretty certain 11 years. I hope my wife does not <laughs> fact check me on that. Um, but yeah, no, 11 years. Um, and um, so, yeah, shortly after, I guess we've been married maybe a year or two. And we kind of got thrown into the conversation a little bit sooner than we had maybe thought um, and that we... Uh, basically the hurricane in Haiti, not hurricane, earthquake in Haiti <laughs> back uh, quite a while ago um, had happened. And there was some kids who kind of became orphaned from that and um, had some medical needs. And there was a potential for them to come to the U.S. on medical visas. And so we kind of got into some conversations with people that we were in church with and stuff here locally. and. Um, decided, well, maybe that would be something that we would consider. So went through that process. It didn't actually really work out, but it got us started talking about this idea of, well, maybe, maybe we could be ready to have a kid in our house. And there actually is a crisis here in America where like tons of kids need homes. So we started this journey towards foster care and probably within a year or so um, had a placement, which was um, our now son, Josh. Um, who is now 15 years old. He was five um, when that when he came to live with us. So that's kind of long story. We have four kids now. So Josh was our first born, we like to say. So the first to our house, but also our oldest. Um, and we have um, three biological kids um, after him. So got this crazy range of kids from 15 all the way down to three. So people think we're a little bit crazy and we... <laughs> Absolutely are. So, <laughs> yeah, that's a, uh, I guess that's a little bit about us. Yeah. And what's the age difference between uh, Josh and your oldest biological son? Yeah. So, our oldest bio kid is next month going to be nine. So, mm -hmm. I guess, yeah, six yeah, years. Yeah. So, that's six years, right? Yeah. Has that so, also played into your family dynamics at all? Yeah. I mean, I definitely 
think so. I mean, having this just that big range. I mean, the fact that like our three year old, you know, has a twelve year gap between her oldest sibling is definitely significant. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think every family is unique, so mm-hmm. I don't know how big of a role that really plays but it definitely as parents splits us in a lot of different ways mm-hmm. that we're doing like high school events on uh, one night and we're also like at the preschool some other days so there's definitely not that many many parents that find themselves in that right so, right yeah hmm. well fun fact um right so any of you who see those really well done um <clears throat> photos that I have um, <laughs> on on social media; uh, those were done uh, by this guy, by Ryan Price. Yeah, man. Um, and uh, it was great. Like he had me come in and uh, uh, was was planning on maybe doing something really unique with um, some different people in the community and yeah. and getting a good headshot of them and then maybe telling their story. And so interviewed me and yeah. That was the first time we had met, but I'd actually heard about you from my 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 roommate Daniel. Yeah, um, good friend of and, ours. Uh, between what I had heard from Daniel and then our interview, um, one of the cool things I realized about you was that you were very um, racially sensitive, um, which makes sense with you having adopted a black child. Um, yeah. But that it seemed like it was something that kind of came natural to you. That it seemed like you were um, a little bit more naturally inquisitive. Hmm about society the world around you you ask really good questions that um seem like you definitely um spend a lot of time thinking about the subject and and yeah. have a passion for for those types of things and and uh but uh, uh a part of that conversation was you mentioned that you were uh, uh from east texas <laughs> um <laughs> and so uh is it it's specifically vital right yeah that's where born and nice. raised yeah um, which for any of y'all listening that don't know about Texas, uh, Vider's got a reputation. Yeah, um, a little bit. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, a little bit of a, a little bit of a reputation of not being very, uh, racially sensitive. And so as you were going into the process of adopting, um, Josh, um, d- did you, did you have any fears that like, um, your family, um, in particular, or even just the community in general. Um, I don't know if y'all were living in that area at the time, but even no, if you no, no, we've been in College yeah, Station okay. all our married right. life. Um, but, yeah, but even as you went back, did you have fears? Yeah, like, man, you know, yeah, no, I mean, it's a it's obviously like a complex question, and <laughs> the whole <laughs> topic of you know, racism is obviously has a lot of complexities and nuances. and um i obviously like have a lot of great family and great friends that live in vider and it's also got this really interesting history and you know still interesting present and so those are all nuances <laughs> that are maybe for a different conversation but uh yeah no interestingly when we were going through foster care training um that question actually came up um was you know asked of me and my wife of like hey and you need to think through your family and think through the people you're close to. And if there are any like potential issues that you can imagine, you need to like tell us because like that could be a deal breaker. You know, like I know like you think you, you know, want to 
adopt and adopt transracially, but you really need to be thinking about the world you're bringing this child into beyond just like your idealism and your own immediate family. And so we kind of, you know, pressed into that and thought about both of our extended families. And, um, you know, we really felt that it was still a good move to go forward. I mean, obviously, that's been, you know, a while back now, and we were incredibly naive to so many things at that age in our lives. And we've, you know, think very different things now than we did then. But um, luckily, to our surprise, or not to our surprise, but, you know, we, our families have been great. Um, they really have, um, even, you know, our extended families have really treated Josh as, you know, part of our family. Um, and I think it, maybe helps that he was our first child and not just kind of like this add on at the end, but um, they've always seen him as, you know, grandson or um, a great grandson or cousin, whatever. Um, and a lot of, a lot of the potentially, you know, racial issues that we thought could be there um, ended up not being a huge issue. And that's not to say that, um, you know, I'm not, I'm going to try to be really careful not to speak for Josh a whole lot <laughs> um, as I'm here um, because I don't know all the different things that go on in his own heart. And I mean, to be sure, there are plenty of probably interesting dynamics that go on with him that he doesn't let on about being, um, you know, someone who just looks different, who, um, you know, is the one black person in our you know, otherwise white extended family. And so I'm sure that brings with it some complexity and some, you know, dissonance. But um, for the most part, I feel like it's been a good story. Um, and that's not always the case. So mm -hmm. I feel very, very lucky for that. Yeah. One of my, uh, one of my favorite shows on television right now, and probably forever will be. I feel like I'll just go back and watch this show forever. Most of my life is This Is Us. Uh, I knew you'd go there, man. Yeah. It's good. <laughs> it's rich. You know, it, it was funny. I was very hesitant to watch it when I first heard about mm. it. Because I'd actually heard that it had um, a black adoption story within it. Yeah. And I just normally don't think that shows handle that dynamic well. For sure. Yeah. You know what I mean? Definitely. And also that... Even like I've even like I've I've uh uh what what I so appreciate about even what you just said is is I can tell that you guys have been very sensitive to handle it very well. Uh when you said uh I don't know what's in Josh's heart. I don't know how he feels about, you know, uh, you know, our family sometimes or what it's like to be the only black person in the immediate mm. family. And I just think that is just a remarkable way to even be uh processing his story and giving him his own voice to speak into his story. Um, so I don't, cause I don't think a lot of even families that have this situation mm -hmm. do it particularly well. So yeah. I, was, I was really close. Which we, we but, don't either. <laughs> Just to be well, clear. You know, no one does it perfectly. Yeah, no, we've no one does it perfectly. Definitely don't feel like we And do. I think yeah. an answer like that shows really sensitivity, but you know, I, so I decided to go ahead and watch the show Yeah, and I was really impressed with Randall's story and how the show handled it. Yep. Um, because the family didn't always handle the Randall dynamic mm. well. Like his, mm. you know, his brother's a jerk and, um, and you know, his parents are 
just absolutely love him, but trying to figure out like how to wrestle with his blackness and mm. his biological parents and all of that stuff. Yeah. Um, but the show does such a good job of revealing why some of the things they did were wrong, mm. how Randall wrestled with his with growing up and and so I, I just I was so amused by it. And one of the reasons it's so appealing to me is because personally, like I um while I have an incredible biological family, immediate family and extended, um, I did have to live with a foster family for um about a year. Mm-hmm. And they've been like family to me my whole life. Mm-hmm. Um uh and uh and so I somewhat have and they're white, so I somewhat have an experience of yeah. being a part of a white family um and so i kind of empathize with randall's story and one of the questions i have is like as i was uh even with that family for the year i was with them and even as i still come around them and hang Mm -hmm. out for holidays and things like that um like naturally uh you know my blackness is always going to be a part of how i how i form my worldview yeah um you know it just had to become when i started reading and thinking and processing like that's just a part of it and and so it leads me to have particular issues that i become very passionate about um um and even process the world in a particular way and so it and it really has like you know my foster family's done an incredible job engaging empathizing even especially amongst my siblings being allies mm-hmm. for like the things that i care about and champion um but you know naturally there's there's a rub you know my you know there my um foster family's a, a a little bit more on the conservative side of the spectrum especially yeah. the extended ones and so so there certainly is a rub and so as 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 Josh grows up, not necessarily politically, but w- w- what do you, what do you anticipate? I know, like you said, you want him to speak for himself, but what do you anticipate being? You know, maybe some of the maybe some of his struggles as he's trying to process through mm. while being a part of you guys' family, still being an African American and how he views the world and. Mm. Um, yeah, what 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 do you kind of into, or what have you kind of been preparing yourself <laughs> oh, to man. you know what I mean? <laughs> to have to engage as he begins to develop and yeah, begin to process the world. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we in the last, you know, year or two kind of got catapulted into this like conversation as the world caught on fire, you know, this past few months and that's what everyone's talking about and right, you know, necessarily. So, um, so I, we've definitely begun to have conversations with him more and, you know, now that he's a teenager and starting to get more of a, you know, space in his mind to, to comprehend some of these more difficult things. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I constantly have to kind of keep my like, you know, fears or just my mind from running to like, oh my gosh, what's, you know, what could happen to him or what, um, what's the world going to be like for him? Um, and, and how can we prepare him for that? Um, so gosh, yeah. I mean, I think like there's, you know, one thing that we definitely have 
realized through the years is that an interesting dynamic that, you know, adopted African-American kids have into white families is, you know, a lot of people in white spaces, meaning our friends and family, um, often kind of just like, without probably saying it, kind of see Josh as white. Um, they mm. just think of him as like, yeah, he's just like, every, you know, just like all the other kids here. And, mm. um, and so, you know, for, for us to be like, yeah, no, like at the end of the day, when he like walks away from our family and walks out of these spaces and goes to school or, you know, when he walks out of our house when he's older and starts a life as an adult, like he is, he is a black man and he doesn't carry a card with him or a shirt that says like, Hey, yeah, but I'm like part of a white family. Um, <laughs> God, I hope he doesn't wear a shirt that says that. Would that be the worst? That'd be so um, yeah, that'd be really weird. No, but, um, so us just really having to like reorient our minds and really even helping, you know, our family and friends like walk on that journey with us of like, Hey, like when you like see the news, like you need to be like, you know, seeing our child as like, you know, that could be him. Like he is not protected um, from things by our whiteness. And, and those things definitely kind of wake us up, I think. Um, and, um, kind of force us into maybe some more difficult or awkward conversations with him. Um, so, um, you know, I actually, after dinner tonight, I was doing the dishes and I kind of, I debated whether or not to tell him I was doing this podcast with you guys. Um, but I was like, Hey Josh, like, so first I had to, you know, make sure he knew what a podcast was and, <laughs> and he knows both of you guys. I was like, you remember that Josh guy that came to our house? He's like, Oh yeah. Yeah. And I was like, and Joel, you know, you remember Joel. And so I told him like what we we're going to be talking about and asked him kind of like, do you, like, what do you think about that? You know, and do you have anything that you would want to say? And like, what do you think about being in our family? And you know, he was actually like really honest and had some good things. And one of the things that he kind of did say was like, I think I asked him like if what would be maybe easier about being in a black family than being in our family. And, um, and we give him like the space to say that and not feel mm -hmm. offended, um, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is a hard thing to do, but I would definitely want to give him that. Um, but the one thing he like said with that was like, I think it would be easier because like maybe they would talk more with me about like racism and about like police shootings and stuff, which is funny because I feel mm. like sometimes I talk too much to him about that <laughs> and I yeah. need to like, I need to like rein it in a little bit. I'm like scaring the crap out of him, but, um, but like that he maybe intuited that in himself that like, you know, if I was maybe part of a black family, that would be something that's more on the radar or more talked about. And maybe, you know, he might even be meant, like feeling that like, yeah, we don't have that lived experience, mm. you know? And so I can say it because I've watched the news and I've read books and I listen to podcasts and try to, you know, hear these things. But at the end of the day, like that was not my experience. And so right. I've always felt that tension of like, man, I'm trying to like teach you these things that like, you know, a good, good black parent's supposed to do. And I, at the end of the day, like I'm a white guy <laughs> and like, mm. I don't have this experience, <laughs> um, but you really need to like know these things. So it's, it's an interesting tension that we live in. <laughs> um, that is, you know, it's funny. Like I got, I got the blessing and the benefit to be in both families, you yeah. know? So I was, yeah. you know, had a, you know, 
my biological family, which has always been a part of my life. And then also, you know, got to live and have had the, uh, the experience of being a part of a, a white family. And, and, uh, it's, I, I absolutely love that he said that because it's the, the truth is, is like, it is going to sound excessive, but it really never stops being a conversation mm-hmm. in, in a black family. Yeah. Like it just really doesn't. And that's no fault. That's no, no fault of you. I mean, that's just, you know, yeah. like that's, that's just, uh, y'all you're in all honesty, like I'm being serious. I, you're probably doing everything that you can to keep mm-hmm. that on your radar and bring up that conversation with him and, um, but it's just like, you know, with my, it's like when my mom chose what books to read to me at night, when I was a kid, mm. they were about slavery and civil mm. rights, mm. you know, it's just like, it is just such wow. a constant conversation. When I decide to, when me and my brothers decide to leave the house and go on a walk, you know, my dad and my stepmom are like, make sure you bring your IDs, mm-hmm. you know, and um you know uh don't be out too long and you know what to do if you see a cop and just all this it's just Mm -hmm. it's just like you know the talk and just all these different things are just like it's like breathing Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know it's just Mm -hmm. such a part of the movement of life um and uh so i just that was really intuitive of him to to mention that because it is such a reality that it just it's just going to come up a whole bunch, a whole bunch and be yeah. so natural. And like I said, be like breathing. Uh, if he were in a black family to have um, for the issue of racism to come up because it is, you know, it's like, it's not just the lived experience of black people, but it's like, it, it's like there's like swimming in it, hmm. you know? And so right. the, you know, the issues of racism and, systemic injustices and so yeah i just yeah i just wanted to comment on i just thought that was so intuitive of him because i because i experienced that living in a black family like that it was just it was yeah an everyday and we've really like over the last few years realized like okay like we cannot be his like we can't be his only parents essentially Mm -hmm. (laughs) like without and like at the end of the day like we lack these lived experiences and we have got to like try to get some sort of like we've got to pull some people in who can like speak this in different ways than we can and reiterate and we have been just really incredibly blessed like you know the last two years he had this amazing african-american coach in middle school that Mm -hmm. like really took josh under his wing and we were like oh my gosh like how could we be so lucky to have this like mm-hmm. man in his life? <laughs> and Josh just like, I mean, thinks of him as like a dad, you know? And mm. I, and I had to get That's to the awesome. point where like, I'm not offended by that. I'm like so grateful <laughs> as opposed to being like, and that's like, you know, that's totally a scene out of this is us too, which was like, <laughs> yeah, was you know, like that literally <laughs> happened. And like, I mean, I remember that scene and like my wife and I looked at each other and, you know, so many times we're like crying in that show, but there's so many times where like it ends, we turn the TV off and we just like stare at a black screen and just like, Oh my God, like how did they freaking write this show? Like <laughs> it is so spot on. Um, oh, and man. just like, you know, and Josh really has started to kind of latch on to different people at school that are like African-Americans and leadership that yeah. whether it's principal or, you know, coach or whoever. And I think like, you know, as a, you know, white transracial family, like we have 
like got to kind of get over ourselves and realize like we cannot be like everything to our kid. <laughs> like right. we have got to like kind of, you know, swallow our pride and realize like we don't know, like there's no amount of books we can read and mm. even people we can talk to that are going to like give us everything we need to be able to like help him in those ways. So, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so Ryan, one second, Joel, oh, I, sure. had, I had another thought with that Okay. because I think, I think that's something that of course is like blatantly obvious for you guys as family as a trans uh, or as a um, multi uh, racial family. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think, you know, that's one of the things that's so natural among African-American and Hispanic families mm-hmm that I feel like just white families just need to embrace in general, even if they have all white children. It's just like, hmm. you're never your child's only parent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It takes a village to raise a child. Right. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there's so many multiple influences and sometimes even just fresh voices oh, yeah. that kids need to hear just so that, um, so that your voice never becomes um, just like, oh, okay, that piece of advice again, you know, it's like, sure. You know, my, my foster dad actually one time he was like, um, he was like, Hey, can you talk to your, you know, brother about this? Cause like, he's just not hearing me anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like, that's just yeah. like a part of, yep. and so, yeah, I just, the, you know, um, not that y'all are falling into this cause obviously y'all just can't even fall into this, especially with Josh, but I just feel like so many white families in particular, just think of like the nuclear family model as like, right. it's all on us to speak into yeah. our child and, 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 and raise them up um, to be, um, you know, mature um, citizens. And it's like, no, it's like, you, you know, like you said, like the coach was such a perfect example. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's like, there's so many people, principals, teachers, yep. um, church, church friends, work friends, friends, you know, all these yep. people that come into a child's life and help in their development. Yeah. And it's like almost there's a sense of permission to parent. Uh, maybe we can call it that, but some, maybe something I've just anecdotally observed. I mean, growing up in an Asian community, like there is a sense in which if I was at a friend's house or if I'm at church, like adults could have a, a very similar dynamic hmm. as a parent to me, obviously not the exact same, but there's a sense in which they could like, you know, ask me to do chores at their house <laughs> yeah, or something. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and maybe there's a sense of formality in hmm. suburban white culture where that's not necessarily hmm. yeah. there. There's a sense of formality that creates maybe barriers between nuclear families. Hmm. Yeah. Um, Ryan, I'm curious to hear about, kind of anything that's changed across the past 10 years. So uh, in terms of like, what <laughs> okay, were some, <laughs> what were some ideas that oh, maybe you had when you were first um, fostering Josh versus some, <laughs> some, some changes, evolutions, yeah. things that you've learned, things that you've wrestled with and seen differently. Um, I'm, I'm sure there's been some, um, I guess growth or maybe tension, not necessarily tension. It doesn't have to be bad or good. It just has to be things that maybe you thought you knew that you realize now, like, Oh, I didn't really have a a deep enough grasp of what I was really dealing with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, gosh, I mean, like I mentioned earlier, 
we i think i'm a real idealistic person i pursue like so much of my life is <laughs> lived in this like idealism mm -hmm. world and just like you know living in my head of like what could be and mm -hmm. how I want my life to look and all this stuff. And I definitely think that, you know, for better or for worse, like that's what probably led us into this journey in the first place. Mm -hmm. I was like, I want my life to look like this. I want to be about like, you know, at that point, like I think if being honest, I think it was probably like, I want to be about like this redemption story. I want to rescue a kid from a hard place. I want to like, I want to have like this transracial family mm -hmm. kind of as a badge of honor. Like, mm -hmm. so I can be like that guy. Mm -hmm. um, and, and also thinking like as a 20, I don't even know what, 25 year old or so that like, and I've got the skills to do it. Like I am like prepared and like no one else can, but you know, my wife and I, we will knock this out of the park. Well, I'm 25 awesome. and I most definitely do not have the skills. <laughs> no, Joel, you'd probably do not, but that's okay. No. Um, so I think like, yeah, we've definitely been humbled along the way um, as to like, you know, and I say all this to, you know, so much of our thoughts on this has definitely evolved and changed. Um, the way we parent has drastically changed. Um, yeah. The way we see things has just, all of that has changed. Um, and I say that to say that we don't regret like taking this path. Mm -hmm. um, and so regardless of where we were and whether or not we should have jumped off this cliff in the first place. Like mm -hmm. we're here now. And we would say like for the, you know, good, bad and ugly, like, and there's a lot of <laughs> really hard stuff and a lot of really difficult times in our home. Mm. Um, and I think at the end of the day, as much as we might cry and cuss and, you know, like have fights, like we feel like we are better um, people and we know the world in a different place and we know um, different aspects of the divine that we could have never imagined mm. um, were it not for this journey. Um, so I know you asked for specifics. <laughs> so I'm thinking well, through yeah, like comfortable sharing, I guess. Yeah, just... no, I, yeah, I mean, for one, I mentioned like our parenting has changed and mm -hmm. I think we, we started off with a pretty like rigid, way of seeing parenting of like um the kind of narrative that we were around in our um you know communities and faith communities and stuff looked pretty narrow as to like parenting looks like this and mm. it, you do these things and you get this kid in the end and they are 18 and they're ready to go off to seminary, you know? <laughs> so like, as long as you do it right. And we quickly, like, I mean, very quickly realized like, nope, that's not going to work here. Um, the, our situation's much more complicated. Mm. Um, I think it's for any family, it's actually way more complicated than maybe they're willing to admit right. or notice. Right. But for us, like we started with a five and a half year old and, um, he came with his own story and his own life experiences and his own trauma and parenting that is just going to look different, way different <laughs> than what, um, 
a lot of parenting in, in white spaces looks like um, and in Christian spaces looks like. So that was a big one that we quickly had to like kind of release ourselves from like, hey, we cannot we cannot compare ourselves to our, you know, people in our community. We cannot try to like mimic that parenting style. We've got to like, you know, we've got to do what works for our family. Um, so that was a big one. Um, yeah, I mean, I think our our views on on race have definitely shifted um, as we have just kind of had to jump into that conversation um, as you know, parents, as individuals, as family, um, and had to like you know just learn things that we never were taught, um, mm-hmm. history that we never knew, and and just seeing how that plays out today and. Because it's like, well, this is this is necessary for for us to know as parents. So, um, yeah, those those kind of thoughts and stuff have definitely changed. Um, mm-hmm. And I would say, I mean, this we're obviously still in, <laughs> we're still evolving constantly. Um, and I think our our thoughts on idealism behind even the adoption movement mm-hmm. within the church and transracial adoption have have definitely shifted and i i don't speak from a place of certainty on that now for sure um i i am in a place of realizing that it is incredibly complex and i think i thought it was a very cut and dry like easy answer (laughs) when we Mm -hmm. went into it um i think i knew what the right answer was and we're like good to go and now i think like whoa, there's a lot of complexity here and I don't know what the right answer is, honestly. So I'm going to do do what's best for our family right now. Um, but when it comes to even like giving out advice to people who are trying mm. to pursue this or or thinking what I, you know, what's best for the world, I, I, I don't know. Because <laughs> like, mm-hmm. there's good and bad um, mixed all in it, so... Yeah. You know, I I know some people who maybe they say they have a heart for adoption or a heart for fostering and and maybe they feel really called or led in one way or another to that. Um, And and that was part of your story as well. Do you think what are some of the pros and cons of that? Maybe that mindset or that sense of calling? Where do you think that calling comes from? And what do you think are the best way to really navigate that space if someone is is really feels led towards fostering or adoption, especially along transracial lines? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think we really have to ask some like honest, hard questions of ourselves in terms of like what's our what's our real motivation. Um, and I guess I don't know to be around people who might you know, to put yourself first around maybe some minorities who mm. would feel strong enough to even like call out some holes in your motivation. Cause I think we can think like our motivation is like pure altruistic, like only right. good. And if a like, you know, minority maybe heard you saying those things as opposed to your white friend, like they might be like cringing inside. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I think, the whole idea of like white savior, you know, Mm. type thing is very real. And, um, I, you know, 
can definitely say like that probably was a part of our story, um, you know, just to be completely honest. And um, I don't think we would have said that. And we might not even even known it if we pressed in. Um, mm. And it's also to say like, at the end of the day, like, gosh, there, there's a need for homes for kids. Mm -hmm. And so there's, there's that, which is true and real. And I think that often, like, I, I really do feel like things like reunification with birth families is like super important. Mm -hmm. And I would not have said that, or I wouldn't have really believed that to the extent I do now you know, 10 years ago, wow. I would have thought like, yeah, I mean, but they're just kind of like screwing it all up and like, we've got stability, like just come live with us. And, <laughs> and, you know, obviously there's a ton to unpack in that statement of <laughs> what's going on in my heart, but, right, right. Um, but just realizing like at the end of the day, like it's not all equal. Like, <laughs> I mean, there, there definitely are kids who need to be removed from their homes. Um, but there is something huge to be said for a kid being able to like grow up with their with their flesh and blood and their their heritage and you know people who look like them all those things mm -hmm. um and so yeah i mean i think that checking our motivation that uh, are we you know a trying to create this like picture of like what our family could look like because we right. know what kind of accolades that will get us. We know that mm. people will go out of their way to be like, you guys are great. Like, mm. and, and we get that a lot and we feel <laughs> kind of like crap when we get it. Cause we don't feel very great. Most of the time we kind of screw up parenting very often. Mm -hmm. Um, and we kind of cringe when people will say that cause we're like, you don't even know. Or like people will often be like, Josh is so lucky. Y'all are great. Or like, Josh is not lucky. <laughs> like, <laughs> His life was really messed up. Like he would not feel lucky at all. Like, you know, like to think that like a child ripped from their home and placed into a home, you know, that doesn't look like it. Like all these complications, like yeah. is lucky is pretty, you know, like there's something behind like why we think that. Um, so I think, yeah, the motivations of what we could look like or even just the idea that like, yeah, we... You know, we can give this like way better life for a child. And like if our values were passed on, like how much better could his life be than it would be if he was living with his family with those values? Right, and right. I think those are all very misguided um, ways to see it. Um, I think they're pretty focused on maybe us as parents and not super focused on the child. Um, so... Yeah. Well, what was your question exactly? Well, no, I, th I think you answered it. I mean, I, I mean, that was that was really convicting, really serious thoughts for anyone who's looking to foster or adopt to just mm. look at, um, you know, where's my heart in this? What's my motivation? Why do I want this? Am I looking for cultural cachet or, or respect or am I looking yeah. to kind of go in there and save a problem? Um, yeah, I, I felt mean, convicted. I, I'm a I'm a brown savior thinking about rescuing a white kid from the clutches of evangelicalism. There you go. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> you are needed, my friend. You are needed. <laughs> I think you need a T-shirt for that. I, I know. No. I know. I'm just trying to be a brown savior like Jesus. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think. Did, yeah. uh, no, I just before I before we get too far from this, because you said something earlier that was really powerful that I think could be is right along with this question it, it, it was actually before joe asked this question but you said that 
having Josh with you has taught you a lot about, um, has pushed you in a more progressive views on race and, mm-hmm. and, and racism. Um, I, I do want to say to any, um, particularly um, white families who are considering uh, adoption or white couples that are considering adoption, that's not an automatic thing. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's what I thought was really, I really appreciate about you saying it is because you pushed yourself to push your views for the sake of your love for Josh. And I would even say it's not an automatic thing. Even if you love, like truly love the child mm. that you brought into your home. Um, I, I know a, uh, a mixed, um, friend of mine, he's half white, half black, um, who his mom doesn't get it. Mm-hmm. She's white. I mean, does not get it. And it has led to some real tension in mm. the midst of everything that's going on the last, mm-hmm. um, since the beginning of the end, kind of end of the spring, beginning of the summer. And, um, it's so frustrating as I talk to him about it. And it just feels like th- there's moments where, you know, he'll, he'll say something and it's like, Oh goodness. She's not trying. Hmm. Like she's like running in the opposite. Like she's not, it's not even like she's trying and like struggling. It's like not at all. And so I think sometimes we can think, you know, man, as a, you know, white family, you know, like Joel said, maybe I'll get some cultural cachet here or, you know, or, or we just assume, well, I have a black child, so I get it. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, you you still have to do just as much, if not more work than the normal white family yeah. to really get it. Um, it you have to work. You 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 don't it's not just a it's not an automatic thing. You have the child and now mm-hmm. you know you're conscious. That just doesn't that doesn't line up. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean I I hope that like at the end of the day when our kid is like an adult and and you know, in therapy, which I'm sure he'll be like the rest of us <laughs> right? <laughs> and like, you know, dissecting all the crap that his parents did. Um, I hope that like, if anything will be said, will be like that we kind of, we were trying to like understand some of these things. Cause I know we did, aren't doing it perfectly, but like, I want to, want to try. Um, I think before we move on from kind of the ideas about adoption and stuff, um, I think there's, you know, there's just some really you know, for lack of a better word, like some toxic, um, toxic things that are just like thrown around pretty often mm-hmm. as like accepted and, and even like good to be pursued ideas. And, you know, one thing I feel like that's seems to be really this common, um, thing is like people having this like idea of their family. Like, I just want to have this like rainbow family. I want to like, mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, I want to get one from Africa, from Russia, mm. from Haiti. Like I'll mm. get one from down the street and we're going to be this cornucopia. Like it'll be great. Cause it's like, that's the gospel, right? Like yeah. we'll be this. I'll perfect... be honest. I've, I've had that thought. I know. And I, man, I probably have too, <laughs> but like, up. it's this I idea definitely. that gets touted and like, yeah. because that's the most perfect way to present like the gospel. I don't and... think I've ever heard well, that. Yeah, explicitly. I don't know. Maybe not. I think I genuinely. Oh, no, dude. Yes. No, hundred percent. I've heard that. I, I'm sure I mean, it's, it's out there. Not, no, I'm not saying. So it gets like touted in this. Religious but for me language. personally, it came from 
like this uh, internal desire yeah. for me personally. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, so we're at the end of the day, we're having these very internal, like as a, you know, as a couple or even as like a single person thinking about their family one day, this is what I want. Mm-hmm. And so we're like mm-hmm. literally looking at children as like these commodities to like yeah. put in our backpack so that we can, or like, you know, to have as badges. Um, and you know, it's like, I don't want to, paint that as like all these people are evil like it's just like what is subtly going on in us and what is like how is this such an accepted like kind of conversation in our spaces that we're not like seeing that as like whoa like these are kids like how can we like you know like and it's also like we're you know almost capitalizing off of some of the trauma to like make our make our family this thing that is to be you know looked at like you know the token like man i want to be those people because look what they've done um so i don't know that's that's a i think a dangerous thing that i i feel like i hear a lot honestly from people who you know are really young and they look at our family or something and you know, just say things that are very like, you know, well-meaning and right. I'm not saying that they're horrible people, yeah. but it's just a real casual thing that people fl- flippantly say of just kind of like, oh, I want a family like yours one day or, mm. you know, it's like, what are we, what are we saying? And um, yeah, I don't know. I think there's become like this huge system within a lot of like the evangelical space that really really pushed this like adoption thing and that's definitely the wave that we were in mm-hmm. i mean mm-hmm. and that's why we're here right now yeah. well, i mean and it makes sense right right and I, I would say it makes sense because so like in in the history of american racism how it kind of how it kind of uh evolved was at first it was it was uh um it was uh um it was it was uh black people are ontologically inferior mm-hmm. you know and eventually you know you couldn't especially after the civil rights movement you couldn't really keep going with that you couldn't be like oh it's in their genetics you couldn't you certainly couldn't say it publicly mm-hmm. you could believe it and yeah. keep it you know at the dinner table and things like that but you couldn't say it publicly and so then it was like well how do we you know um describe racial disparities how do we describe the fact that there are disparities in wealth and property ownership and crime and Mm -hmm. you know things of that nature and it's like well if we can't say it's the genes then we have to say it's the culture Mm. um and because we said it's the culture then what was really easy to kind of seep into evangelicalism is well i can i can save those poor black babies from that terrible Mm. culture you know i can adopt them and and raise them with you know good solid you know we would say christian but really was white values um and it was you know i i I it needs to be said it wasn't just white people it was black people doing this too Mm. like thinking oh well i've i've transcended Mm. ghetto culture and you know um hood you know culture and all the pathology that's there um so let me adopt from the hood hmm. um to save these poor kids you actually I, I don't know if you remember the episode but remember the episode where um randall and beth have uh um what's their daughter's name their adopted oh, daughter on a blank man 
Me too. It's been a while. The show hasn't been on. No, it's just a travesty. I need I this show right now. <laughs> it's November. It's coming back in November. Uh, no. uh, it was the last I heard. But uh, This episode of the so Moral Minority Show was before. brought to you by This Is Us. <laughs> in, in November. And they need to pay us for, yeah, they- free, uh, <laughs> for this free hyping up the show, man. I, I want to check. What's up? Um, <laughs> but no, so they have their, they, their, so their daughter starts dating someone from yep, a different yeah, yeah. social economic strata oh uh asia yeah 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 starts dating uh yeah. um can't remember what her boyfriend's name is so the so the two black families are there yep and it's interesting because <laughs> they're just as divided yeah mm-hmm. as if it would have been a white family and a black family yeah because of their economic differences which some people will take that a little bit too far but that but there are those differences are there and is that real. something that was explored on fresh prince of bel-air a hundred percent Hundred percent with Will Smith and uh, mm. and then uh, his uh, his, the, his whole family was kind of like mm. kind of the hill kind of uppity black family, mm-hmm. the family that he his uncle, the family mm-hmm. that he moved mm-hmm. in with, um, and he was kind of hip hop, you know, mm. um, but uh, <clears throat> but yeah, so it's even so I I just didn't want to like just make it like oh it's only white you know white family struggled the most with it yeah because they're the ones who have kind of embraced that ideology a lot more but. It was black families too. Like, oh, let me let me save this kid from the hood. And so I think that played into this kind of, um, you know, not just natural white savior, um, but even like a very particular of like I have to save them from that bad culture mm-hmm. that's leading to them not flourishing, mm-hmm. you know, in American society. And I think that was just that's a temptation that you know is still loudly there in. We, as, um, you know, people who are starting families and considering fostering and adopting, the need is there for sure. Um, and it, and it's something that, um, needs to be done, but it's like, but make sure that your motive isn't to save that child from a bad culture. You're just Mm -hmm. saving them from a difficult situation. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think there is, you know, I don't know if this is shifting at all. Um, I think it maybe has, but you know, I would say five years ago or more, like I feel like there is just this big push within a lot of those um, evangelical spaces that really elevated the families who were fostering and adopting as like the rock stars of, you know, as like missionaries and adoptive families are like, mm. like put them on stage and like, <laughs> let's have, you know, like, how can we serve these families? How can we? And I mean, you know, I say all that to say, like, we were we were pushing that. We're like, yes, everyone, like, should be, you know, signing up to babysit and everyone should, I mean, <laughs> please, you know, still, if anyone would like to babysit, we would love that as well, even today. Uh, we have not evolved away from that thinking. Um, no, but, like, the idea that, like, everyone needs to be fostering. And, you know, it's so complicated because it is, like, gosh, there's this need and the church needs to be meeting this need of, like, kids in the foster system and, I believe that, but it also kind of led to this interesting, you know, thing where it's like these, you get a lot of reward, social capital for that. And, and that just, anytime that happens, it enters in this like interesting component where we elevate people to higher status and it pushes people into a space that maybe they weren't really ready for yet or qualified, you know, like, um, and so I don't know, I think there's a lot of things that I'm unpacking and, and a huge thing for me, man, a few years ago, I like 
came across just randomly came across this book that was called like in their voices or something. And it was a book about, it was just kind of like 20 different, you know, chapters of different authors essentially who are all either black or transracial adoptees. So no one white in it. And it was all their thoughts on like transracial adoption. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this is like adoptees. This is like, you know, black church leaders or like great people, you know, and it was like this, fairly resounding like kind of not like negative per se but definitely this kind of like like whoa like there's a lot of checks that need to be happening here and there's Mm -hmm. you know it was the first time that i had like experienced this like whoa this like people could have some negative thoughts about this and maybe just maybe like when you know black people see our family they're not like yeah good for you they could be like do you know what you're doing and like you know um and it's and more that it's just like really complicated and so that yeah that helped me to see like man this is a lot more complicated than i thought and i if i'm truly saying i want to learn from minorities and from from you know african-americans then i need to like humbly like sit with these words you know and and let Mm -hmm. them like impact me so yeah you you know i'm curious um josh earlier you mentioned adopting like white evangelicals adopting minorities from the hood in my personal not personal in my just like subjective experience i've kind of absorbed more of a push towards international third world adoption Hmm. Um, Ryan, I'm sure you're somewhat more connected to the adoption community. Do you think that there was more of a push of like international adoption or like, you know, more minorities in America? Was there, was there, I think there was like a, it definitely seemed to be a push more early on, like international. Hey, it's like crazy expensive. And so mm-hmm. I think there began this boundary, like, oh man, um, how how's everyone gonna do that? But I think there was more recently a real push specifically for foster care mm-hmm. and really pushing this idea of like there are like fifty thousand kids that need a home right now in the United States. Mm-hmm. And like we as the church in America need to be like rising to the occasion um, right. which yes like i don't disagree that is all true so i think there's been different waves okay. honestly yeah um, i did not hear a lot about fostering at all hmm. growing up but yeah, in the and maybe it would have been years, i heard a lot not more about fostering, fostering but maybe like the still idea of adoption but maybe more domestic and um you know foster care is like what way more financially doable in the sense that you get paid kind mm-hmm. of to do it um which has its own issues. yeah but you know yeah i mean they're all they're all probably equally messy obviously foster care is got its own messiness um that's unique to foster care um and so yeah as far as your question like what was pushed i don't i don't know i think there or even all, were there waves or movements yeah i mean i can't really speak on an like authority of that Mm-hmm. But from my kind of experience, like I, I think there were kind of were different, and maybe it was dependent on like different people you're around, and right, right, what your specific community is is pushing, and mm-hmm. so I don't know. I have a revolutionary thought here, um, and you know, this is not 
any indictment at all, especially if you, uh, Ryan, but of any family that is uh, passionate about adoption, feels called to adoption, feels called to um, fostering and um, of any ethnic group. Um, uh, but, but, but I think one of the things that can be forgotten is many more kids would be with their biological families mm. in a safe and economically um, fruitful environment if we had better policies in America. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just going to throw that out there. Like if, if, yep. if, you know, like things like universal health care and um, livable wage jobs and, you know, access to, co- you know, free college, access to better, you know, uh, more access to college education. Um, I mean, I think there's know. some real brokenness too in the foster system. And yeah, I mean, I've like 100%. listened recently to some like justice in America podcast stuff that, you know, was not at all talking about religious standpoint, but just about the foster system and some of the bigger cities and just like how, you know, for very low level drug offenses or something like that, you know, kids are ripped out of their family's homes. And then the, the ability to get those kids back is like really difficult. And, and I'm not an expert on this, so I'm not like saying, Oh, let me tell you the better way. But it was just like, it was pretty heartbreaking to be like, Oh my God. Like it's heartbreaking for me to know, like I have watched my son for, you know, the past, however many years, 10 years, like grieve his, you know, birth family and being ripped from them. And, and to think like, gosh, how many kids out there are, whether it was like, yeah, there could have been better, you know, just healthcare or whatever policies that like prevented them from being in poverty and being in that place or the actual, just like system snatched them up for like an offense that like, did they really need to be taken out of their family <laughs> like, <laughs> and, and the ability to get back and, so I don't know. I think it's it's an uncomfortable place for me to kind of sit honestly and wrestle with. Um, and I'm not really resolved on it, to be honest, of like, what's the answer? But I feel a strong tension there mm-hmm. of like, man, we've got some things to like work out in that. And, and I would say like along your, you know, train of thought there is it very much felt like, and I don't know how much of this is kind of changing for the better in church spheres, but like that, you know, once a kid, once you kind of got that kid in your home from foster care, like, good, you got them out. And like, let's just hope it, let's hope it ends in adoption because like, you know, like they didn't need to be in that space in the first mm. place. And, and just the tragedy of that. And, and again, not to say like, man, there are some really dangerous places for kids that they do not need to be there. And then there are some places where it's like, yeah, they didn't have much money. And yeah, they, their parents might've like smoked weed or they, it was a single mom or it was fill in the blank of what we would maybe say is not optimal, but like, man, like, should we not be wishing for like the reunification of families? Right. And like, what is it? what is this like savior complex that we have that is kind of like wishing for these kids almost to be like taken out of their families that are in, you know, difficult circumstances so that we can, 
you know, so that we can put them in the best schools and we can, you know, they have a chance at college or whatever it is, like, because that they're in our family. So I don't know, again, really difficult things to wrestle with. And I don't have the answers, but it seems like there needs to be some adjustment on our stance. Yeah. You know, hundred percent. you know, I, 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 uh, one thing, I, I had brought it up just cause I think, um, like I said, no indictment of you or any other families out there that are, um, considering or even have adopted. I, I think that's a beautiful thing within the uh, space that we're in. But I think what I said and what you said is they've complimented each other of just like, um, one, like, I just think it needs to be remembered that the same, the same push that evangelicals have towards like anti-abortion, mm-hmm. you know, which I'm there, but I'm also like, mm-hmm. it's a, it's really an economics thing mm-hmm. that it's like, you got to deal with those economic realities so that you have less, um, you're going to have significantly less. Of, and I mean, I talked about this on the abortion episode that we did a while back, but like um, ever since Roe v. Wade, there were, the president that's had the least uh, amount of abortions under his presidency was not a Republican. He was a Democrat, President Barack Obama. Hmm. Um, and it was because he dealt with at least some of the substantive issues yeah. that people need so that they could have their children. So I think just a part of this conversation needs to be, hey, like policies do make a difference. And then the point that you brought up, which was so profound of like, and just the way that some of those systems of foster care and adoption are, you know, like, <laughs> I would just say it, no child should be taken out of their home because their parent is smoking weed. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, yeah. maybe a significantly harder drug, you know, that's a conversation. Yeah. But yeah, know, like, I mean, oh, the interesting yeah. thing from that particular podcast, was, I think it was either New York or Chicago. And it was basically saying that like, the difference of black and white there was like these kids are being taken out of black families because their moms, you know, tested positive on a drug test or something for weed. Meanwhile, there were like in the like uppity section of town, there were mom bloggers, like hippie mom bloggers, literally posting on their platforms about the like great benefits of you know, smoking weed and how that makes them better parents. And like no one, and it was like applause, you know, like no one was taking their children and you're like, Oh my my God, God. (laughs) like, are you kidding me? (laughs) And so that was like a, yeah, there's such a disparity and such a, you know, racial disparity along those lines of like Mm -hmm. how many children of color are, you know, being ripped from their homes. So yeah, man, it's, (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. How to, yeah. There's so many areas of America that need to be fixed. But you know, for added those, to the list. <laughs> right, right. Of course. You know, for those looking to adopt who are like, hmm. may, you know, maybe they can't have kids. and They're like, OK, I like I want to adopt because mm-hmm. I want kids and I want to, you know, it's almost an added bonus that I can mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. Um, be a part of yeah. healing something in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to adoption specifically there's kind of an interesting factor in that the parents can choose the child, Mm -hmm. which in a, obviously in a biological child, that doesn't really happen. Yeah. Um, (laughs) No, it does not. No, it does not. Yes. Let me inform you. Welcome to this quick lesson on (laughs) uh, where where babies come from. Yeah. Um, (laughs) No, it's, you you get to choose and it's kind of this weird situation. It's like, well, now that I get to choose, how do I choose? And, there, you know, some people may be saying like, well, like I want to, 
I want my family to um kind of you know we used the term rainbow earlier but a sense of like multiculturality that's built into the family or multi-ethnicity maybe already a mixed couple and so adding a third color to the mix doesn't yeah. is you know yeah kind of negligible or it's not negligible but it's it's uh it's the kid was going to be different anyway you know or or um maybe you i mean maybe you're aware of some of the challenges for example, that um, you, Ryan, may have in parenting Josh and like, well, I don't want to play part in that. So I'm actively only going to adopt a kid of my yeah. same skin tone. Like, I mean, that, that seems like a weird space to navigate. Yeah. Where does it stop? Where does it end? What's healthy? What's not healthy? Can you comment on that? Do you have any <laughs> ideas? Yeah, I think it's really complex. I think that I used to think it wasn't. Yeah. Um, and now I do. Because <laughs> so, at the end of the day, uh, the kid's not related to you. So does it matter what color they are? Yeah. If I mean, it does so matter I think, like, like how different you know, should, like back when we parents not made that decision, there was kids. this big push on like, are you, you know, like it's racist to say I only want a white kid because there's all these kids in the system who need a family and they're like aging out of the system because no white families want a black kid. And so there's that and that's real. And so yeah. I'm like, yes, like be open to that. Um, and again, I guess it comes down to like what our internal motivations are. I think at the very least, I would say like we have to like begin that process with like a realization of its limitations and like and have people speak some honest truths about like, yeah, like. Becoming a like transracial or multiracial or whatever word you want to use, like family, is is not like this natural thing, mm. you know. And so it's it's gonna have its awkwardness and and I think just oftentimes we maybe forget like how difficult we forget the child's experience, you know. We think like. How is this going to be for us as parents? Are we going to like get some flack from our family on this? Or are we going to, how are we going to do this? Mm. And like, we rarely think like, what is this like two-year-old going to think about this when they are 12, you know, or when like yeah. when other kids are like, your mom and dad are white and they're having to like kind of, you know, hide from that or mm. like explain that away or, or just live in the awkwardness of it. And so, you know, those are spaces that we live in and they're, definitely real and, and complicated and i think it you know kids need a home but we also have to like balance this like what are we what are we exactly getting into and are we prepared to like you know own our own like prejudices are we prepared to like you know be ready for our kid to be like yeah i don't like being in a white family and, and like not be offended <laughs> by that but be like you're right. This sucks. Like <laughs> it is hard and you're doing a brave thing. And like going to school is probably difficult for you. And like, mm -hmm. I'm sorry people bring that up, you know? So mm. I don't know. I think just to not go into those things with like naive, like understandings. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, what we found is like a lot of, you know, in Christian spaces, like adoptive families, I think for a while, felt this need to put on this like brave face or like you know and when they're at church like yes like things are awesome and we're doing this great thing and like we are missionaries for whatever you know and 
like it was not really accepted to like talk about the really, really hard things. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think that's changing, but you know, I have yet to really meet an adoptive family when, and talk to them on like off the record type thing where like, you know, we're all feeling the, feeling the weight of it in all these different complex ways. And we, we love our kids, but we also like feel the brokenness of all this. And, and we, you know, as a bystander, you might not ever see that. And you might assume like the way I'm talking right now is not the way that like your friend who adopted their kids maybe also thinks. And, and they might not, but I'd be willing to say like, maybe <laughs> like they probably are. Like they've probably wrestled with some of these really hard things too. And they might not feel the safety to like talk about it mm, in open yeah. spaces because they feel like they need to protect their child or that they like need to push this like godly agenda that the, you know, church is saying like, no, like it's good. Push it, push it, you know? Yeah. Um. So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, just, just a couple of weeks ago, um, a friend of mine in my life group at church, um, they have a fostered child mm-hmm. and they were just talking about some of the very specific details and, and uh, difficulties that come from raising a child that has experienced significant trauma and mm-hmm. the parenting challenges that are very specific to that. And there, he was really like raw and vulnerable yeah. and open about that. And for me as like a single 25 year old, I was like, wow, it's really refreshing yeah. to that, that he feels the space to be vulnerable in that way in, in a way that's frankly uncomfortable. Like it's uncomfortable yeah. to hear details of a child's development that are out of the norm and mm. that are um, maybe particularly unique and particularly frustrating. Uh, I, that, that's really challenging space. So I, I admire that vulnerability. And I think that's really important yeah. because, you know, any unique situation is going to be challenging in its own way. And so feeling the, permission to share that burden is so important yeah, for all of us as communities be. to be there for one another. I, I would be, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't say this though. Um, I think, I think we did exactly what we should have done and like have made sure that we've made a little red tape, a little bit of warning, making sure that as people are processing this, mm. that they, um, that they realize all the different dynamics that go into not all because we couldn't exhaust it but most of the different <laughs> yeah. dynamics that go into um stepping into transracial adoption yep. um but I, but I, I i personally as someone who's lived in a white like i would never like i actually loved it you know like i yeah. loved it i really love um you know my foster siblings and um hmm. i uh think that although the verdict in the 90s and early 2000s was probably or the rhetoric was probably terrible and the ideology was probably terrible i do think there is something to be said about the beauty of the manifold wisdom of god being in one household Mm -hmm. like having you know different ethnicities Mm. in one household i i cannot deny that i think there is a beauty to that and so i i would just say like all the red tape was good to remind people this is hard. What are your motives? Yeah. Know that there's going to be serious, like things that your child has to experience that your family has to experience that, um, you know, like motivations that are racist, socially not healthy, all that different stuff. Like, you know, but there is something beautiful about 
absolutely you know that dynamic mm-hmm. that is you know is just is still holy and good and can be celebrated as people do it well or as well as they can yeah you know? yeah absolutely mm, yeah. ryan thanks so much for coming on the show now is absolutely. your chance to uh <laughs> Ooh, if what? you want to share with the audience, Give a sermon? Uh, <laughs> no, not a sermon. Uh, maybe you like your Instagram handle. <laughs> oh, uh, oh, that. Okay. <laughs> that's what I had in mind. If, if you've got a sermon prepared, if you got okay. notes in your back pocket, no, um, no, like yeah, if you want to share your art or yeah. your work, yeah. So um, I'm, I'm a chance. photographer, um, so that's what I do. So um, RyanPricePhoto.com is my uh, website. So I have like three Instagrams. <laughs> Unfortunately, I and I do uh, do poorly on most of them. But so my main one for photography, Ryan Price, photographer. Um, I kind of started this one this summer in the midst of pandemic of a place to like just post pictures of my kids and my garden and my homestead. So it's called Growing Home. So not growing, but growing because I'm gangsta. Um, so <laughs> well, I thought I thought it was I thought it was three words or grow, grow in, in home. home. Yeah, it could be that. Wait, that's or, not what it is. Maybe or just like growing home. Like okay. I'm growing home. Well, I knew it was I don't both. Know. I knew kind of like going like, home or growing yeah, yeah, home yeah. or growing. Oh gosh, so it could be a lot of things. Layers, but it is grow in home as yeah um i don't post very often on it but that's kind of more of our family like you know not professional stuff um so yeah maybe those two places or places you could yeah could find me um yeah i would say that's about it great well thanks so much for coming on the show we oh, love man. this conversation thanks a lot for having me i admire you guys a lot so good. love the conversation i've been listening to episodes good i like them yeah you hear that we have at least one fan one fan (laughs) nice listened about half the (laughs) (laughs) enough all right well listeners thanks for uh thanks Thanks for the uh thanks for the headshots man i use them everywhere now yes good it was such a fun conversation man i i'm so glad we got to connect i learned a lot from you that day so oh yeah it was great yeah it was great yeah awesome appreciate that Well, listeners, thanks for tuning in. Uh, Feel free to send us any comments or questions on via uh, the moral minority show at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter or tweet at us on or at minority show um, and share this with your friends. Share it on Instagram, share it on Twitter, share it on Facebook, start some some uh, comment section arguments. We love to hear those. Ryan, you've been active in the Facebook comment sections recently, uh, haven't you? Not recently. <laughs> not recently? Recently, I have turned Facebook off. <laughs> okay, good. Straight up, <laughs> two weeks, I'm like off the Facebook because I could not do it anymore. <laughs> I, I might remember, be back on. I remember like oh, uh, hearing oh. you talking about like extending some olive branches on Facebook. And I was like, whoa. No, I, was, I had some I, I was trying to go hardcore and I'm like, I will probably re-engage before this election. But right now I'm like, I need some space. I cannot hey, be yeah, looking Facebook at this. Different. Hey, I, I do want to know this though. Like I was talking about this with a good friend of mine. What base is going to be more insufferable if they win on social media? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm getting fearful, I honestly. Like, I try not the, to think about it. Because you know, the Democrats will be like, we slayed the dragon and yeah. they'll be annoying as hell and oh my gosh. not know what the hell they just got themselves into. I think like, like, I think that Mark Zuckerberg just needs to pull the plug like the day after <laughs> and just be like, we're going to give it a month and we'll plug it back yeah, in. Exactly. But right now, like no one can <laughs> handle this. I just and, don't know what, oh. you know, cause you know, the Trump Trump's got such a cult like following that. Yeah. My goodness, if he gets another four years, they're just going to lose. I think both sides are just going to yeah. be, it's going to be like, yeah. 
the place is going to burn down no matter what. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That's why I've got the homestead. Once again, grow in home. Grow in home is where, where we're going to survive oh, this. Fully, fully uh, <laughs> autonomous. Yes. No external dependencies. Yes. Uh, the Ryan Price Autonomous Zone. Yeah, but don't come knocking for food because I will not share. <laughs> oh, man. That's interesting. What kind of... That question came out of nowhere. This is like Sports Center or something. What? <laughs> no, that question. I didn't expect it. It was funny. Oh, no. It's just been on my mind. Yeah, I believe it. Like, I don't know what base oh, is going to be more insufferable. Um, yeah. I think it will be Trump's people just because he has... Because <laughs> Biden has no enthusiasm behind him. People are enthusiastically voting against Trump. Yeah. But Trump people are like enthusiastic about him. So I think it'll be the Trump base, but mm. I have no idea. I'm writing in, so I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a, yeah. I I'm wonder, I think if Biden wins, everyone just might be like, oh, okay. You know, and they might not be bragging about it. <laughs> they might just be like, okay, I can turn Facebook off and stop trying to convince all my friends. I'm, I'm good. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> all right. Well, that has been another episode of uh, the Moral Minority Show. Tune in next time to hear how we can find new and creative ways to roast Joe Biden. Mm-hmm.